I know that there's always space for a new dropshippers. Hey, my name is Felix Atia, and I'm the host of Shopify Masters, a weekly podcast powered by Shopify, the easiest way to sell online, in person, anywhere in between. Each week, we invite entrepreneurs like you to share what they've learned growing successful e-commerce businesses. In this episode, you'll learn from an entrepreneur that launched a dropshipping business using Oberlo, an app that lets you easily import dropship products into your Shopify store. And you'll learn why and how to interview influencers to quickly create viral content, how to get your first sales through Instagram direct messages, and why your giveaway prize should never be a product that you're selling. Today I'm joined by Tim Koch from Sunji's. Tim is an entrepreneur with a passion for dropshipping and is currently running a dropshipping case study store where he made $8,872 in just four weeks. Welcome, Tim. Hey, Felix. Thanks for having me. So, so what is Sunji's? Give us an idea of what is that business? What are the, pro- the products that you're selling? Uh, actually, Sunji's is a dropshipping store where I sell sunglasses. And I built a store for a case study on Oberlo to really show people how simple it actually is to start a dropshipping business and how to make sales. Got it. So what is your background? Have you launched other dropshipping businesses before? Yeah, I'm currently running two um, dropshipping stores. And I also built another business just for the purpose of a case study on the Oberlo blog where I made around $7,000 in eight weeks. And yeah, that's what I'm doing with e-commerce right now. Yeah, so obviously you're a big fan of dropshipping, and it's a very popular topic right now with with uh, entrepreneurs that are getting their feet wet. They're diving into dropshipping, and I've also heard from stores that are you know millions of dollars in in revenue that are also dropshipping. What do you think that? What, let's talk about the pros and cons of starting a dropshipping store. Why did you specifically choose to start a dropshipping store? I think it was the simplicity of starting an online business. Um, me, who had no background in business at all, I'm I'm still serving in the German military, so obviously uh, I don't have anything to do with business or online business. So I just wanted to free my mind from uh, the military stuff, and so I decided, okay, why not give it a try to start an online business? And did a little bit of research on Google, and eventually found dropshipping, and figured out it's pretty simple to start, even though I'm a totally beginner. And over time, I figured it's not that hard if you're just following the steps uh, who are actually required. And so, yeah, that's when I started to to start my first dropshipping store. Obviously, made a lot of mistakes in the beginning, but with time, you're getting more wiser and you figure out what is needed. So, yeah, I think it's it's pretty simple and straightforward, and everyone can start a profitable dropshipping store right now. Got it. But for you, it was a no-brainer. I think for a lot of the entrepreneurs or people that are thinking about getting started, it was a, it was a no-brainer for you to choose dropshipping because it was easy to get started. And one of the other common things is that it's very low risk, right? That you're not you're not involving yourself with tons of inventory or anything like that. Now you mentioned that you ran into mistakes along the way that you've now fixed when you've launched future businesses. Can you talk to us about that? What are some of the most common mistakes that you've made or you've seen other entrepreneurs make in the dropshipping journey yeah sure i think i had the same um, misunderstanding of how e-commerce actually works i thought just setting up a store running facebook ads and then i will make a lot of sales but this is actually not how it really works there a dropshipping business owner or a business owner uh, in general have to put in way more work than 
people may think up front. So there goes instead of just paying for ads, you have to provide real value, um, whether it's through content marketing or through just a great customer service. But just setting up ads on Facebook, Instagram, or wherever you choose to target is not the the best way to start. So this was my main issue. I spent a lot of money on paid advertising in the beginning and made no sales out of it. So I think um, this advice would be the best to stay away from paid advertising in the beginning if you don't know what you're doing, as I did. And once you made sales and figured out how you can make sales without paid advertising, then you can reinvest that money into your business and invest that into paid advertising to grow and scale your business because then you know who you're actually targeting, who your target audience is and bring value to them. Got it. Yeah, I think paid ads are like a magnifier. If you're doing the right things, it'll magnify that that uh, success you have. If you're doing the wrong things, it'll magnify that as well and, and cost you a lot of money. And I, you've obviously learned that the hard way, which I think is uh, the path a lot of other entrepreneurs have taken, and uh, hopefully others can, can learn from that. So you mentioned that the key then is not to focus on just creating some kind of uh, store and then throwing money at it through ads, but actually investing your time into adding value. And you mentioned two things. One path is through content marketing. So let's start there. What are some ways that you've seen entrepreneurs or that you have added value to, to your business or to your customers through content marketing? I think if you if you really want to build a long-term business, which is sustainable, um, then blog post and focusing on SEO can really work out. If you're really providing great in-depth blog posts, like for example, Shopify does an incredible great job on this. This, this is a great example. Also, e-commerce stores are not a SaaS business uh, where people are looking for that much content. But there's a, there's a reason why a lot of e-commerce big brands, for example, H&M, like why they are spending incredible amount of time and money for their content. They have own magazines and um, just a great blog where they provide value with upcoming trends and how people can combine um, different clothing stuff with uh, accessories or items. So I think if you're, for example, running a fashion store, then you should bring value by showing what type of items people can combine uh, out of your uh, catalog. Was this the path that you took with Sanji's to, to create blog posts around way, ways they combine the glasses that you're selling with other fashion pieces? No, as I was very limited on time, I set the goal to just uh, achieve my goal in 30 days. I just wanted to create some content and I figured out the best way to do it is to interview small influencer and just ask them random questions and then publish this on my blog. And then I just reached out to them saying, okay, we'll just publish this interview. And then they shared this interview for me as they were obviously proud of being interviewed uh, probably for the first time ever. And then I got a lot of traffic coming from this um, very organically. 
This is almost like a, a content marketing hack that you're talking about. I really like this approach of interviewing. I'm obviously an interviewer, so I'm maybe biased here. <laughs> but you're saying it's a really fast way to create content, and then you're you're kind of doubling down on that by uh, bringing on someone that's an influencer that has their own audience as well to 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 interview. So they are now you've always created a, a distribution channel for the for the content that you're creating automatically. So talk to us about this approach. If someone out there is short on time, like like you were, and you want and they want to create content through interviews. What was your process? How did you find the, the people to interview and, and how did you arrange, how did you organize all of it? Uh, actually, well, pretty simple. I just did two things to acquire people. Um, I just posted in some fashion Facebook groups asking for people who are, would like to get interviewed. And then uh, in return, I would share all of their social media channels and their blogs on my store's blog. And I just put in... Um, a link to a Google form where there were, I think, seven questions. And then people filled out the form, uh, answering the questions. And also another way was to direct message people on Instagram. I just searched for hashtag fashion, reached out to some micro-influencer, asking if they would like to be interviewed. And then the same stuff over there. So pretty straightforward, pretty simple. Yeah, I think this is the point where maybe the imposter syndrome might kick in for, for some listeners where they're like, well, I'm a small store. I don't have a store yet or I just got started. Why was someone that's an influencer with you know thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of followers want to be interviewed by me? Did you experience that? Like, Did you even have that kind of issue? Uh, no, because I did not approach one of the big influencers. I just kept the numbers very low. Uh, I also interviewed people who had... Um, less than 10,000 followers. So this was not a problem for me at all. Yeah, and it's one of those things where you maybe start 10,000 followers and then you build up your own audience through them or now you have this kind of like a cosign essentially from a smaller uh, micro-influencer then you can start approaching bigger ones to say, hey, look, you know, I did this interview for someone that was smaller than you but not that small and you kind of build credibility from there. So I think that's an important point that don't, you don't want to shoot too high off the bat. You want to go for people that are, are go for, to interview people that, that, that make more sense for your size and then build from there there. So that's the content marketing piece. I think you did. I think that's a, a great way to, to get things going very quickly. Now, you also mentioned customer service as a way to add value to, to your business as a drop shipping store. What are some ways that you can do that? I think direct messages on Instagram works incredibly well on this because as you probably know, and as a lot of people know, is if you're a if you're communicating with a big brand, then you send an email uh, and you wait for one, two, three days. So until you get a reply. Um, but if you're, as you're flexible, uh, especially in your early stages of your business, you can reply within minutes uh, on Instagram direct message. So I was very open about this in my Instagram bio and let people know that if they have any question, they should just shoot a um, direct message. And I get back to them instantly. So uh, I think people appreciated this. At least this is my assumption. Uh, but this is, I do it now for uh, several years and it works incredibly well and people are coming back. And some even said that they really love my great customer service. What was the goal of the case study when you sat down? You've, 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 you've um, released others in the past, which I recommend folks go and check out. What was what is the goal when you sit down to create a case study around a dropshipping store? My main goal was to prove that dropshipping is a real and sustainable business model. But 
obviously I needed a KPI to focus on to figure out if I reached my goal. So and for me, the proof that I bring in a lot of value to people was a returning customer rate. So I set a goal which I wanted to achieve and on returning customer rate. And if 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 I would have achieved this, then I know that I bring in a lot of value because otherwise people won't come back. Got it. Now, the when you sit down to do these case studies, and because you've released a couple in the past already, I'm sure you've got tons of questions back from the dropshipping, the e-commerce uh, community. What do you consider the most important question that you've heard so far from the audience, from the entrepreneur audience around dropshipping? How much money do I need? <laughs> I think I think this is really uh, the most common question because people are seem to be afraid that they. Also, they they know that dropshipping does not require that much money. That they need a lot of money for paid advertising uh, to to really uh, get their shot. But I think you need very little money to get actually started, um, especially if you stay away from paid advertising. There are so much things to do as a business owner um, besides of paid advertising to actually make sales. Mm-hmm. Now. The four weeks that you took to, to go jump back to the intro, you, you spent four weeks and you made $8,872. Was the four weeks uh, the time that you spent building the store as well, or was that the time that the store was live? Uh, until the store was live. Okay, so you built the store and then went live for four weeks and you generated almost $9,000 in sales? Yeah, that's right. I, I It took me, I think, two or three days to uh, build the store. Okay, so all in all, about a month to, to, to go from nothing to having a store that generated almost $9,000. So to set the yeah. table, that near that nearly $9,000 in sales, are you able to share what was the profit? Like how much were you making at the end of the day? Uh, it was around 4500 Okay, wow. So so almost, uh, 50% profit margin, which is, which is great. Now, the, the four weeks, let's get into this. So at the very start, well, at the very beginning, what is the first question you have to answer how do you get how do you even get started in deciding what kind of store to build i think this is a also another very common question uh, people think a lot of dropshipper who want to start think about trending products that they really believe that dropshipping can only be successful if you have found an incredible trending product like fidget spinners for example uh, but i think this is not necessarily 100% the truth because I sold sunglasses and my assumption was that there's always sun in some place of this, uh, in this planet. And so I just decided to, okay, let's give it a try. This is not a trendy product necessarily. And I did the same with uh, watches, uh, which are also not very trending. So I think if instead of focusing on a trending product, uh, dropshipper would focus on a, product which has been used day by day all around the planet, then they would have more success. For example, this could be phone cases, phone charger, um, watches, sunglasses, bracelets, um, yeah, stuff like this. So that that's one criteria that you mentioned is that you want a product that is being used on a day-to-day basis, at least somewhere in the world. Are there other criteria that you look at to determine if it's the right niche for you or not? I think it should be easy to ship. Um, you don't want to ship heavy goods, although you could. Um, and I don't like to ship uh, any electronic devices because you never know the, the quality. Also, you should do quality orders and test the quality of the products yourself. 
you never know how many of the products you're about to sell uh, will arrive broken and then you have to deal with a lot of returns. So I personally don't like to ship or to uh, work with technical products. Mm. What kind of tools or resources have you used to, or do you recommend people use to help them find a niche? Uh, for this case study, I did not use any validation tool, but I would recommend to use Google Trends, um, the Google uh, Global Market Finder, and also social media. I think if you are very active on social media, for example, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, then with time you know what trends are coming up. And I think Facebook groups can be also very valuable in that case to really just spend 10 to 15 minutes per day to constantly look up what people are actually talking about right now. And this could be any group from fashion, even though you're not into the fashion niche right now, but you want to um, want to have an eye on your on niches uh, to gaming. This could be anything. Just join all the groups you think have potential and then just look up what people are actually talking about. Mm. Now, on social media, when it comes to something like Instagram or Twitter, most people out there might just be following their friends and family and are kind of in this little bubble. Should they be following specific types of pages or influencers to get a, a better kind of head start on the types of trends that are coming up? I think it's it can be really valuable to follow so-called micro-influencer, people who have around thirty to 80,000 followers. Um, to really figure out what trends are coming up or what trends are actually right now. Um, the problem with big influencers who have millions of followers is that they don't necessarily show trends because they have deals and campaigns with like huge brands and they don't care too much. These brands don't care too much about trends because they they are the ones who build own trends, which are not for the public. So um, those micro-influencers uh, following them can be very valuable because they have deals and campaigns with uh, brands who are focusing on trends. That makes sense. I can imagine that a much larger uh, influencer will have much more expensive rates, which means that more only more established, more mature industries and businesses are able to work with them. Uh, when it's a new trending, just about to become really popular industry or, or, or product, they're probably working with, they probably only afford to work with smaller influencers, these micro-influencers. So you really want to pay attention to what those people are talking about and what those micro-influencers are, are promoting. So, so that makes a lot of sense. Now, while you running all of this, I think you had mentioned maybe in a pre-interview that you are doing this on, on the side in addition to your nine to five. Is that right? Yeah, that's correct. That's cool. So I think um, that that's very relevant to a lot of listeners that are doing the same thing. How did you structure your day to make sure that you're able to get all of this done? Uh, it starts very early in the morning. I get up at 4 a.m. every morning and then I get in, I try to get in at least one hour of uh, dropshipping work or now content creating work. Um, and then I go to my uh, regular work. And then whenever I come home, I don't, as I'm serving in the German military, I don't have fixed times. I, I never know when I'm coming back home uh, at the evening or night. And then once I'm home, I'm just spending some time with my girlfriend and then uh, spending, I don't know, at least four hours uh, on my dropshipping business. So I don't have a very clear um, structure, but 
I don't. I want to spend at least five hours per day on my dropshipping businesses. Now, are there any limitations because of this, like in terms of uh, timeliness or the things that you have to get done at a certain time, but but you cannot because you are obligated to to your work or anything like that? Yeah, there there are a lot of issues with that. Like, it's obviously I never hit my to do list per day. Like, I never achieve them because there are always things um, which come in your way. And I stopped worrying about this uh, very early because like in the beginning, it, it drove me crazy. And I was really um, pissed because of this. But now with um, having some stores which are successful, I know that there are always things coming in your way. So um, I would just recommend to stay calm. And then there's always the next day where you can work on your store. Got it. So now that you found the the, the sunglass niche as what you want to focus on for Sunji's, what was next? Like, how did you validate that there was a, a space for you in the market? I know that there's always space for a new dropshippers because, like, I the goal of this business was never to build a multi million dollar business out of it. So, and I think if people also big goals and dreams are great. If they uh, stay grounded in the beginning and have maybe smaller goals, like just a couple of thousand dollars, um, then they they realize that there is a lot of space for for them. That there's definitely not space for a lot of millionaires or multi-million dollar stores mm -hmm. in dropshipping, but there's tons of space in uh, for small stores. And considering that. There every month there are new people um, getting their first paychecks, and so there are new uh, customers born every month. Uh, this is like this is the ultimate <laughs> validation that there's there's always space for people. Got it. Now, when you do look at the, the the niches that you can can go after, you have this criteria they have in mind where you want to sell a product that is easy to ship, that is being used on a daily basis, and you recognize that there's always space in the market. How, did you use any tools or anything to determine which particular niche is the one that you might have the most success in? I think Google Trends can really help there. There are a lot of paid tools and really fancy tools, but I'm personally not a big fan of these tools because I'm I like to go more after um, demand, like real demand. Sure, all the number numbers you can see are great and they definitely help. But unless you make your first sales, you haven't validated your idea, uh, right? You you really want to sell products, so I just go out as as soon as possible and make my first sales because then I can feel confident, okay, there's a real demand. Mm. Uh, what do you look for in Google Trends? Uh, just a, um, an increasing demand for uh, search volume. Got it. So if there was like a stagnation where it's flat or if it's on a decline, you, you're pretty much uh, excluding that, that niche? Um, not necessarily excluding, but um, considering new niches. And if I haven't found any... Uh, any better one, then I would test several products, right? If I would have found uh, three products which are pretty much the same, then I would just try all three products. And the one which which I can sell the fastest will be the one I will focus on. 
Got it. Now, you said that you want to be able to get that first sale as quickly as possible. That is the ultimate validation. How do you set that up? How do you try to get your first sale? I, I, I do it per Instagram direct message. I figured out there's a simple way to do it, to involve people into your business. You just reach out to them, uh, to people who could be your potential customers. Um, you could find them through hashtag research. And you just ask them for feedback on your store. And in return, uh, you are willing to give them a 50% discount. And this is not to make money. This is just for uh, uh, research work to A, get valuable information, what you should um, improve on your store. And B, if people are actually willing to spend money on your store, if they if your store looks trustworthy enough. So I think this is the easiest way to get in the first sales. And this is not a money-making technique because this is obviously not scalable, but this is very easy um, validation work. I got it. So you you are you have a, a profile that's built around your store. You're reaching out to potential customers, asking them for their feedback, and that's the the key thing that you're trying to get out of them. But you're also offering them a discount code if they ultimately end up trying to purchase. What's the conversion rate there? Like how 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 based on all the experience that you've had, not just particularly with Sunji's, but in the other stores that you launched in the past, like how quickly are you able to get your first sale? Um, it was very very. I think. In the uh, my most successful store, uh, had the first ten sales in the first ten minutes of uh, of publish, but, but because I did some pre marketing before, um, but on on Sanji's it was I think on the second day uh, I made my first sale. How many people were you messaging? Um, Twelve or something. Okay, so that so very quickly then twelve people and then yeah. you got your sale within you know t- t- two days. Now you mentioned that when you are testing on niches, you are going after a few at a, potentially at a time if you see potential in a bunch of them. And I think there's this concept in the dropshipping space of creating a general store versus a niche store. First of all, what what is what is that for anyone out there that doesn't understand the or doesn't know about that concept? What is the concept between a general store versus a niche store? A general store is where you sell a lot of different products from uh, phone cases to necklaces to, I don't know, sketchbooks or everything. So this is just to have a large or a very large inventory. So a dropshipper can offer everything a customer could potentially need in order to make more sales. And a niche store is where you just focus on one product or one product group, for example, sunglasses. Mm-hmm. And do you do you take that approach when you're just testing things out? Do you just have like a general store that you put a lot of products into and then test that way? Or do you actually create individual stores for all of the different categories or niches that you want to focus on? I actually like to go with niche stores, but um, this is not not necessarily the best practice way. So there are a lot of very successful general store business owners. Mm-hmm. Okay, now before you get to the point where you're able to message people on Instagram asking them for their feedback, you actually have to have a store filled with catalog, filled with products in your catalog. When you identify that you want to focus on a sunglass niche, what was the next step? Like, how did you find that the vendors find the products to sell? I just went to Overlo Supply, and Overlo is an app for Shopify, and I just pushed in some sunglasses. I I figured out could be could sell, could be selling very well. And with time, I would get rid if they are not performing as I would like to. 
and then this was actually all within uh, two clicks. I got those products into my store. Mm-hmm. Now, are you working with multiple vendors or do you just look for one specific vendor whenever you're creating a store? No, I just um, added all products from different vendors um, to get as much sunglasses as possible. Mm-hmm. I think there's also this approach when people are evaluating which vendors to work with based on things like shipping times and and whether shipping is free. Do you look at that too when you are considering what to put into your store or are you just trying to put everything in there at first and then start going through like a curation process after you see what sells? Uh, obviously, I had a clear goal what I wanted to, which kind of product I wanted to have in my store. And I did not look necessarily for free shipping. Also, I did uh, offer free shipping on my page in the end, but I just included these into my prices uh, so I could afford free shipping in the end. Got it. And just to walk through this process again, you identify the vendors through overload supply, you add them to your, your store, and you mentioned earlier how you think it's important to to make sure you get the products yourself to, to make sure that it actually is uh, you know, of quality. Uh, how, how do you do that? Do you, do you do that first before you add them into your store or do you, you order them after you added them to the store? Yeah, I just ordered them and send it to my house. And then I just check the quality, see uh, how high the quality is and how the frames look like and if there are scratches on the glasses and just check them uh, if I would purchase those products. And then obviously most products I sold on Sanji's uh, were female products. I gave them to my girlfriend and then she looked at it and I asked her what she would purchase for these products. Got it. So is that filtering process done before you add that product to your your catalog? Yes, absolutely. Got it. Okay, now that you've identified the products that you want to add to your store, I think the big question next is how much should I sell this for? Like the pricing. Can you walk us through that? Like how do you determine, well, first of all, what are the prices for your store and how did you determine them? Uh, I think they're very different from $20 to uh, $40. I just, in the end, I just want to have a profit after tax and after all, of at least $5. So I set up my calculations accordingly to that and try to offer as like the lowest price as possible and still making that profit. Got it. So when you have this uh, $5 profit in mind, what, what is the, the goal behind that? Like why, why the $5 specifically? I, I figured out this is a solid profit margin. And this was everything. It's just from my experience uh, from the uh, past couple of years. Okay. And when you are running all of this, it's lots of moving pieces, lots of players involved, lots of different vendors. Uh, you're, you know, running these kind of, uh, you're running your social media accounts and you're, you're running the store and everything. How do you keep all of this organized? How do you, you project manage the entire business? I like to work with Trello. And I have everything set up on Trello in order to just keep track of everything. Uh, I have my checklist in there, which are some kind of to-do list. And then I just um, work work off everything uh, from these checklists. Do you, do you run this by yourself or do you hire anyone to help out? No, I just uh, do it on my on my own. I like um, my girlfriend helped me in the end with fulfilling the orders. But everything I expect from this, I did on my own. 
Got it. When you are now looking at the, the the store, it's stocked with products. What about the branding? Like, how do you decide what? Well, first of all, how did you come up with the name, and how did you just decide on how the the, the logo should look and and the design of the entire business? Uh, I did not have a very clear idea what I wanted to achieve uh, when I first did the the case study in March, where I sold watches. I felt that this was just a store where I made money. Obviously, this was great, and I really liked the result. But on the Sanji's case study, I wanted a little bit more and go a little bit more into branding. So I had to come up with a name and logo. And so I, I just listed up every names or every terms I think would make sense. And then I just combined Sun and Yes. And from, the, uh, from Yes, I made uh that and then in the end i combined these sun and yes and had sun g's so i was just combining two terms and because i really wanted to have a, a color gradient the same as instagram has or very uh, similar i just uh hired a designer on fiverr and he should make a logo for me with the same uh gradient colors but it does not uh, did not look that well, so I um, I created a little bit different version all of the logo, and in the end I came up with a very oranges logo with a small gradient over there. So um, yeah, I did not put in too much branding efforts. I just want to act and appeal like a like a brand, like a real brand. So do you think that that's not as important when you're just starting to 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 not spend too much time on creating like the perfect brand? Yeah, I think a lot of people, not necessarily wasting time, but spending not the the right amount of time in stuff which is really important. So I don't like to spend that much time on branding in the beginning. So if I figured out, okay, this business could be um, a real hit and could be very successful, then I still can um, put in a lot of branding efforts and real branding efforts. So yeah, you don't think there's an issue with just going with what's good enough and then maybe even redoing the entire brand later? No, absolutely not. Got it. Okay, so you have a good enough logo, which is what sounds like what you're going for, and you have some kind of color uh, theme to 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 your to your brand. Is there any other pieces that you have to uh, make sure you get in place at a minimum to, to consider a you know a good enough uh, release in terms of having the brand together? Yeah, I I wanted to create some kind of brand voice. But I did not came up with anything in the beginning. But over time, um, when I run the business, I came up with a pretty good voice. And this was just because I did the, the interviews I mentioned earlier, because then I had a very clear idea how my target audience speaks, what kind of word they use. And so I could use the same words and build some copywriting out of this, but um, not necessarily in the beginning. I see. So you're interviewing these influencers who may or may not be your customer, but their audience is certainly your your customer, which is what it sounds like you're you're targeting. And based on the responses to your question, you learn how to speak the same language as your customer. Yes. Got it. Can you describe that? Like, what do you, what would you consider the the voice of your business? Very girlish. <laughs> uh, I. It's very hard for me as a guy to really come up with a mm -hmm. girlish voice, but I had the help from my girlfriend and I just want to keep it very 
like like an 18 year old girl would talk to their best friends and so i made a little bit fun about boys and how bad they are you know like this just some some girly talk i wanted to include some pieces of that into my brand's voice to really to to really make the voice like my target audience would speak mm-hmm. that that's great to hear though that even though you're not the target audience, you're still able to discover how to speak like them and to speak to them. I think that's important that that should not be an obstacle to starting a business because you can always find ways to learn how to communicate with the, the target audience. Now, once you have the okay, you, you have the, the product figured out, you, you obviously have the niche figured out, you have the branding uh, done, now comes time to, to building the, the store. What are some of the most important pages to put up when you are on a time crunch and you want to just get the bare minimum out? Uh, obviously, you want to have the legal pages on point. This is very important. And then just the basic pages, uh, like a contact us and about us page. And that's actually all there's no need to do anything more. I like to add a free shipping page as well, where I explain why there are some, maybe the where I like to explain why the shipping may takes a little bit longer, um, but in return, they get free shipping. Mm, I got it. So you mentioned an about page. What do you put in there? Uh, just what the brand is about and how we feel about uh, how passionate we are about selling sunglasses and these kind of things. And is this where that brand voice that you've been able to establish through these interviews is that where is that is that where you're pulling information out of to put into the about section? Yeah, absolutely. And when you launch a, a new store, what are some of the most important apps that you want to make sure you include? Uh, I like to obviously I like to include uh, Oberlo for dropshipping and then also Mailchimp and Sumomi. I think it's it was formerly Sumomi, now it's just sumo.com. And what is a uh, so sumo.com, Sumomi is like a collection of different applications. Are there specific uh, apps from Sumo that, that you'd like to include? Uh, yeah, they're welcome at and also there this is I don't know how it actually is called, but um, just a pop-up, but I really like how easy it is to edit these pop-ups to collect email addresses. So that's why I favorite them. Mm-hmm. And then welcome, Matt. What is that? How does it work? Um, it's actually um, a dynamic landing page, if you want to call it this. It's just uh, where the whole screen is filled with a form people can fill out if they, for example, want to have a discount or where you want to um, promote anything you're uh, you like to promote, for example, a giveaway like I did. And then if they have no interest, they can just click it away, but it fills the complete screen so it gets the full attention of the customer. Mm. And what about the pop-up? Is that time-based? Is it action-based? Or did it get it immediately when they come to the site? There was an accident tent pop-out. So as soon as the customer wants to leave the page, then the pop-up appears and maybe or hopefully catch the attention and the email address of my customer. Mm-hmm. Have you played around with different incentives? Like what, what works to get them to put their email address in? Um, on this case study, I just worked with a giveaway. I just uh, set up a giveaway uh, which was worth around $150, a makeup brushes set. And I just promoted this care, um, this giveaway through my pop-ups. And people were subscribing or entering this giveaway like crazy. 
Yeah, so that's that's interesting. You you are, are running a giveaway with a, a product that I don't think you're selling right on your store. Yeah, that's right. I I did not like to give my stuff away for free. Why is that? People, I don't want to get people into a mood where they just wait for the next giveaway. If I give away other people's product, then they are not waiting for a next great discount or giveaway or whatever. They just apply for this giveaway. And hopefully I can use the emails I will collect through this in order to get those people uh, becoming my customers. Mm-hmm. How did you know that, that that makeup brush kit is the product that, that would work? How did you know that that was a product that your audience wanted? I just assumed it, to be honest. I mm-hmm. had no ideas. Like I said, okay, there are a lot of these girly voices. And then I um, I just imagined what what girls could maybe use uh, too. And I said, okay, makeup is very obvious, but I didn't want to give away makeup because there are very different uh, colors and shades and whatever. So I just say, okay, brush set, everyone could use a brush set. And that's when I came up with the idea. Got it. So now when you are putting these products into your store, a big part of it is the product page and the description. How did you write the description coming from someone that that is not the the audience or not the target customer? In the beginning, I kept it very simple, like, like just one line actually. And with time, I uh, improved it and developed it. And it turned out that this was a key uh, factor to my later on success. Because once I changed the product description and used the words my target audience used and coming up with my own brand voice once I developed it, uh, it, it was a complete game changer for my business. Mm. Now the the store was it a theme that you purchased? Was it a free theme? What did you choose to to build your store? No, it was a um, a paid theme for around one hundred eighty dollars because it gave me all the flexibility I I needed in in this business. What was that theme? No, I, this one I go with the uh, paid theme. It's called Symmetry. And uh, it gave me all the flexibility um, which I needed for this project. Got it. Okay, so now that you have the the store built, you have launched the store. What was next in terms of actually scaling up the sales? Because I think you said the first way to get sales is to Instagram message people and then get them to check it out. Maybe they'll purchase. How do you actually turn this to a system where it is actually scaling up and you're getting sales without having to to do this so manually? I was actually very surprised how it worked out in the end because, as I mentioned, I ran this giveaway. And I, like, you can control, I set it up the giveaway with King Sumo, and you can control how many, how many entries uh, a participant gets when they do a certain thing. Like, if they follow your Facebook page or Instagram page or whatever, then they get five, 10, or how many entries you pick. So, and I set up a brand ambassador program, or it was more like, it was not really a brand ambassador program. I said just, okay, if you click here and become a brand ambassador and use this discount code, you get 50% off and uh, that's all. So people actually clicked on it and they purchased like crazy with, uh, through this discount code. And I made around $1,000 uh, from people just clicking on this link in the giveaway. So this giveaway actually 
helped me a lot on making the sales, even though it was never built for this purpose. Yeah, how did you get the traffic originally to to even come to the to see the giveaway? Uh, I did a lot of Instagram work and a lot of Facebook work. I posted in several Facebook groups that we're giving away um, this great uh, giveaway. And a lot of uh, young girls seem to be attracted by this. And then they just entered. And because you get more entries if you share with your friends and referral friends, um, it went not necessarily viral, but it turned out that in the end it was four, uh, 556 people who entered the um, the contest. Okay, so you're going to these Facebook groups and, and posting about the free the the makeup brush kit giveaway. Did you run into any issues with people with uh, the moderators getting upset that you're posting this? Did you run into that kind of issue? No, I got it. Okay, so that, that's good to know that that's uh, an approach that that works. And you mentioned that Instagram was also something that you focused on. Was that a similar approach? Like, what would you do on Instagram to drive traffic to your your store? Uh, I did a lot of stories where I just promoted this. Uh, and also, I I did a little bit of um, DMs, but not that much. I think I I sent twenty to thirty direct messages if people would like to enter this, and if they would share it, then I get more entries and stuff like this. So uh, I think what really helps was the ability of King Sumo to get more people into this giveaway uh, if they shared with their friends. Got it. And just to explain real quick, so the way that King Sumo works is that you can enter for one kind of entry, but if you shared it where you, you got other people to enter, it increased your number of entries, increased your chances of winning. So it incentivized people to to share and kick off a little bit of virality with uh, the giveaway. Now, you mentioned that you created Instagram stories to promote the the giveaway. What was in the story? I'm not sure. Were you in the story? Like, I think that's a, a big uh, an issue that some people have out there where they don't necessarily want to be in the story. Like, how did you feature the product, feature the giveaway in your Instagram story? Uh, no, it was not me in my stories. I just came up with solid story design. Uh, I used Canva, which is a free tool. And I just created some story images. I, stu- uh, I took some random stock images from Burst. Um, and then I just put in some text over there and said, okay, if you click the link in the bio, then you will enter the giveaway. And this was actually all I did on Instagram. I did it for around two weeks. And then all the traffic which came from Instagram was just directed on this giveaway. Got it. Now, when you're releasing these these stories on Instagram, don't they have to be followers of you before they can see it? Or can they still come across your story without being without following your profile? Oh, they can see it without following me. Okay. And is this like through hashtags? Like how did you get them to how did you get your your so I think the, the, the steps here is that people are coming to your store be, to, to enter the giveaway and they end up purchasing it, purchasing on the spot or purchasing it uh, later. Uh, before they get there, they're seeing your Instagram story and that's how they discover the giveaway. How do they see the Instagram story to begin with? Like, How do they find about your profile or find out about your story? Uh, definitely through the uh, post out the hashtag uh, I post on the on the images. So I used very relevant hashtags. I came up with, I searched for uh, webster.me and just looked up for 30 fashion-related hashtags. And then a lot of people just came uh, from these uh, hashtags uh, who have visited my page. 
Okay, just to walk through this process again, you want a website that in me to find relevant hashtags, you're creating posts on your Instagram uh, page, like actual photos on there, which people are then finding through, you know, searching the, the hashtags and coming to your your Instagram profile, they notice your story, they click on the story, they see the giveaway, they go to your bio link, click on the bio link, enter the giveaway, and then that kind of kicks off the rest of the the funnel and the 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 virality of them potentially sharing that giveaway with their friends. Yes, that's right. Got it. Okay, so now that you've gone to the, you've built this system in place that you with with this uh, store. Um, in, in other situations, there are other dropshippers that have gotten this kind of success as well. What is the next stage that an entrepreneur should set their sights on after this initial success? I really tried to figure out who my target audience actually is. Like I had some customers at this point and I, like I had to, I had to have, I had to start at some point because I wanted to have Facebook, uh, ads in this case study to really have some way to grow and scale my business. So as I did not have any data uh, I could rely on, I just um, some kind of stalked my first customer and figured out what kind of influencers or celebrities or big brands uh, she was following. And then I just create a first ad or a target audience on Facebook including all the celebrities. And I identified these celebrities on Instagram uh, with the blue check mark right next to their name. And as you can uh, target people based on interest uh, on Facebook, uh, I just put in the celebrities' names and created target audience out of this and then created a lookalike audience out of this in order to start my advertising on Facebook. Got it. Can you talk a little bit more about how you set up those ads? Like, what are what are in the Facebook ads themselves? Um, I tested a lot of different stuff, uh, from videos to just a simple, very ugly looking ad. And in the end, it turned out that an ad which includes the same wording as I identified in the beginning with the surveys I did for the interviews in the uh, on the blog. Uh, turned out very well if I then uh, link them to uh, the product page where I also use the same wording again and again and again. And this was my best-selling product in the end. So the main lesson for the ads is to really have some kind of corporate identity to really have a strong brand appearance that everything matches that if someone clicks on your ads because most people get a lot of content views but nobody really gets a lot of sales from it so i think if 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 dropshipper can do themselves one favor is to um, develop or improve their product pages uh, and match them with their ads so this was obviously a main lesson for me in this case study to to really uh, no, you can cut the last one. <laughs> mm-hmm. Okay, so when you are creating these Facebook ads, I've seen campaigns, I've seen Facebook uh, uh, ad managers that are crazy with they have so many different campaigns and, and 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 ad groups and everything. What's yours like? How do you how do you recommend people start off when they are ready to spend their first few dollars on Facebook ads? How many campaigns should they create? Like, what what kind of configurations do you recommend? Uh, I would start with one simple ad. And then just target for uh, content views. 
And then as soon as you get a lot of content views or some content views, which are about 50 or 100, then you can set up a new ad, um, create a custom audience out of these content views, and then set up a new ad uh, where you aim for uh, add to cards and then do the same with uh, purchase. So you have three ad sets uh, where one is for content views, one for uh, add to cards and one for purchases. And so you're constantly running all these three ads, but this only works if you know who your target audience is, if you have found your sweet spot. And this requires some kind of, uh, or a lot of uh, research work. And is this research work just from the that kind of earlier period where you are, are you know, manually reaching out to customers and learning more about who's uh, responding that way and and talking to these and interviewing these influencers? Like, are there other ways that you found to successfully identify who your customers are exactly so that you can set up your Facebook ads for success? I think with more time and with um, a higher budget then there should be definitely spend more money and more time on Facebook advertising tests, running a lot of A and B tests to really figure out who your target audience is. But as I was very limited on the time with just 13 days to start from scratch, uh, I I figured out I had only this option. And mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure there are more options, but this was my approach here and it worked pretty well for me. Can you break down that so that nine thousand dollars in revenue? Can you break down like what portion of that, or approximately what portion that comes from, came from Facebook ads versus these direct, these uh, more manual approach versus any other approaches you've taken to to drive traffic and sales? Yeah, I think um, around six thousand dollars came from Facebook, and the rest came from the uh, from the giveaway, and the other one was from from Instagram from the direct messages and other sales channels, but which were not that big, mm-hmm. had not that big of an impact. Okay, so when you sat down to create that first uh, Facebook ad campaign and you were setting up your targeting, what informed that, that that targeting? How did you know who to target at that, at that point when you sat down to to set up that that first campaign? Uh, I just I just targeted the the target audience I came up with when I looked up my for my first customer's follower or who who she followed. And this was when I set my first target audience up and then I just targeted these people and wanted to get data out of it. It was not initial for sales. I just wanted to gain information and to create a new target audience, which then would help me to create or to narrow down my target audience. I got it. Okay, so you first are looking at people that have already purchased from you uh, in the past, and are you building a lookalike audience off of that? Uh, no, not in, not at this stage. I just created a custom audience. Okay, create a custom audience, and based on on the uh, the customers that you already have, and it's just to just get some traffic into to your store to build that uh, that essentially give the the Facebook algorithm some data to work with. Yes, that's right. Got it. Okay, so if anyone wants to check out the store, it's S-U-N-Y-E-Z.com. And Tim, you also run Dropshipping Consulting, dropshipping-consulting.com. And the Overload case study, uh, which is for the same store that we talked about in this interview, we'll include that in the show notes on the Shopify blog. We'll link over to that. What's next for you? Like, What's the, what's the current or next case study that you're working on? <laughs> uh, the next case study is actually... Um, 
with just I, I want to prove that a business does not need to cost any money. And I just want to see how it works out in the end. So I'm just creating this um, just for fun and then see how this works out. But beside of this, I'm, I'm doing the consulting. I have a lot of um, clients right now to help them get started. Uh, but yeah, that's actually my stuff right now. Awesome. Thank you again so much for your time, Tim. Yeah, thanks for having me. Here's a sneak peek for what's in store in the next Shopify Masters episode. What is their journey on a day-to-day basis and how can we how can we create apparel to, to fit that lifestyle? Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Shopify Masters, the e-commerce podcast for ambitious entrepreneurs powered by Shopify. To get your exclusive 30-day extended trial, visit shopify.com slash masters.